And I was like, well, all right, didn't think of anything of it. Like, that's fine. Another scan will get answers. Yep. So off they did, um, off they sent that and off we went to do that. We did that. And when we arrived at the reception, mum had gone from being her lovely self to a very quiet person, very low-key, yeah. yep. not going to make you alert. Little did I know, mum had actually seen a pink post-it note with Kayla Dunn, sarcoma, question mark, question mark. Right. And I hadn't seen that note. So, so she, hadn't, she hadn't told you about it either, obviously? Like No, she hadn't. T- yeah, no, she hasn't told me about it. So I was willed off to do the MRI. She obviously went and rang the family and told family what she had seen and read. Yep. Um, and then which, um, when I finished the MRI, and this is where I started asking upwards, they asked to do a chest x-ray. And I said, I'm here for my knee. Why would you be doing an x-ray on my chest? And that's when I found mum and the doctor in the hallway and mum crying and that's when they pretty much diagnosed me with cancer. And then um, within three, four days, I was rushed off to St. Vincent and had um, biopsies done. I had had get biopsies done and that's when they actually came back to say I had osteosarcoma, but I didn't have it in one place. I had it in two places. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Toxic Media Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes and you're liking the content that I'm putting out, then please show your support by liking and sharing this video and clicking the subscribe button to subscribe to the channel. I can assure you that what is still to come will be nothing but quality content with some very interesting people that have some crazy life stories, let me tell you. This next guest reached out to me after hearing Glenn Pate's story in episode 2 and man does she have one hell of a story. She was diagnosed with osteosarcoma as a child and aggressive bone cancer where she was told her chances of ever falling pregnant were slim due to the cancer treatment. She miraculously fell pregnant only to suffer a bad car accident 27 weeks into the pregnancy. With luck on her side, she went on to give birth to her beautiful baby boy Noah and this was just the beginning of a very bumpy road ahead. After giving birth, she went into major organ failure of her heart, liver and kidneys, and in September 2020, she was blessed with a new heart. Here to publicly tell her story for the first time is the miracle woman herself, Kayla Dunn. How are you, Kayla? Welcome to the podcast. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries, no worries. Thank you very much for um, for reaching out. You've got a one hell of a story to tell us there, so... Let's get stuck into it. All right, let's um, let's take it right back to the very very beginning. Um, give us a bit of a rundown on your childhood. You know where where were you born and stuff. So I was born on the first of March, two thousand nine, uh, nineteen ninety six. Yep. Um, and I was born in Newcastle. I'm a I've got four, three siblings. I'm a family of four. I'm the only one between mum and dad. Um, when I was about two, three, we moved to um, Cobram, Victoria, Cobram, Baruga. And um, mum and dad separated. Mum went off, had her 
three other kids, Dad had another one. Okay. Um, I've always kind of lived in between mum and dad, um, did the tip for tat. Um, when I got in trouble at one, I would go to the other house. Yeah, I can relate um, and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yep. Yeah, so did the tip for tat. And um, yeah, then when I was about eight, my sister came along, Cassandra, and then I had Tamika, and then I had Joshua, and so they're 19, 18, 17, and then I've got, on dad's side, I've got like that seven, uh, 16. Right. Yeah. Cool. So, um, where whereabouts were you, were you born? Where are you based now? Um, I was born in Newcastle, so in New Hampshire. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I'm now based in Melbourne. Yeah. Right. Right. Cool. Cool. So, obviously, you've got um, a hell of a, a medical history behind you. Um, obviously, that's why we've got yes, you on. The, that's why we've got you on the podcast to um to voice your story finally. Now, where did all that start? Yeah. So the the cancer as a child, um, can you sort of give us a rundown on that from, from the start? So probably from the age of about, about nine, ten, I would always complain about knee pain. And um, it would always be after I had like a really long day, like would be running around like just as a normal child. That night, I, that's when I would whinge of this knee. Anyway, we went to multiple doctors and... Um, we always got diagnosed um, diagnosed as like just growing pains, just growing pains. Just go take the Panadol, rest. We'll be right. You'll be right. And that worked, and I kept on working. And then no one really took me seriously. Um, it wasn't until I was uh, fourteen, fifteen, I ended up um, in the back of an ambulance on the way to Shepparton Hospital. Okay. As I had fainted at um, at work, and I ended up at Shepparton and had several testing done. I um, got told I had appendicitis, and that's when um, they decided, "Oh, we're going to take your appendix." So they took my appendix, and this is where it all started. Okay. Two weeks later, two weeks later, they we they got us back into a clinical clinical review and that's when they said you actually didn't have appendicitis we don't know what you're like what was causing your pain we don't know anyway a couple I would say three four months later everything was okay and then all of a sudden I felt felt this sharp pain in my left ribs yep and it was when I was more like most active as well and um, after a couple of days, it would come and it would go, it would come and go. And um, once it like had left, I would never think of about like think about it again. So I would be like, all right, like okay. Um, and then it was about a month later. I was helping Mum carry boxes out, and that's when the pain had returned again. And it hung, hung around for about a week, but it felt like I had broken my ribs. It felt like I couldn't breathe in. I couldn't move. I couldn't, like, talk. I was gasping for air. So um, that's when, like, the alarms I was started ringing, but not enough to, like, it only lasted a couple of days again, and then it disappeared. But this this one time, when it came back around Christmas time, 2014, um, yeah, it had came back. But this time, after it had left, the pain had left, what happened was 
was the knee, my right knee, the one I had been whinging about many years ago, yep. had actually blown up. But I was working four to five days, like eight, eight nine-hour days. Like, they yeah. weren't short days. So I was on my feet 20, like, that, that whole time. Yep. And I was like, well, maybe the bot, like, it's just getting too much for my body. Like, all right, we might step back. And I went to the GP, like, because it had blown up, like, three times the size of my other knee. And yep. I was like, that's not normal. And, um... So I went to the GP and he gave me, he got me um, to put a knee brace on it, obviously bed rest, and he gave me um, Voltaren. Yeah. He thought it was just ligament damage. And it, because we lived in a small country town, our closest place to get a scan, it was a three-week wait. So um, obviously we, we rang up and we got them scans organised. And in that three weeks, I had actually gone to bed one night and um, I woke up screaming, like screaming, I mean in agony, and um, I just wouldn't settle down. It felt like I had little like devils or like yeah, little devils in my leg pulling on the ligaments. Wow. So um, obviously we went back to the GP the next day He and told him what was happening. He um, rang up like where he had to ring up like um, where the scans were being done. Yep. And he got them put down as urgent. So that was the 16th of um, April 2015. Yep. The 17th of April 2015, we went and did the scan. Um, yeah. And that's when I went in for a CT. I went in for an X-ray. And after I had done them CTs and X-rays, they had rushed. Like, they weren't acting normal, but they weren't not acting normal, like they were rushing around, something but they weren't up. making it stand out. Yeah, something was going on, but yeah. they didn't make it really noticeable. Yeah, okay. So they got me and mum to wait in um, a waiting room, and um, they came in about 15, 20 minutes later, and they're like, we found, found something abnormal on the scans we've done, just done. Me and mum were laughing. We are like, well, I'm abnormal as it is. Like, yeah. what could it be? Like, yep, yep. this is normal, and they're like, um, we're sending you to do an MRI today at Shepherd and Bates Hospital and um, at 2 o'clock. I was like, well, oh, all right. Didn't think of anything of it. Like, that's fine. Another scan will get answers. Yep. So off they did. Um, off they sent that and off we went to do that. We did that. And when we arrived at the reception, mum had gone from being her bubbly self to a very quiet person, very low-key. Yep. Not going to make you alert. Little did I know, Mum had actually seen a pink post-it note with Kayla Dunn, sarcoma, question mark, question mark. Right. And I hadn't seen that note. So, so she, hadn't, she hadn't told you about it either, obviously. Like No, she hadn't. Yeah, no, she hasn't told me about it. So I was willed off to do the MRI. She obviously went and rang the family and told family what she had seen and read. Yep. Um, and then when, she, um, when I finished the MRI, and this is where I started asking up, was they asked to do a chest X-ray. And I said, I'm here for my knee. Why would you be doing an X-ray on my chest? And that's when I found mum and the doctor in the hallway and mum crying, and that's when they pretty much diagnosed me with cancer. Yeah, wow. And then um, within... Three, four days, I was rushed off to St. Vincent's and had um, 
biopsies done. I had had get biopsies done, and that's when they actually came back to say I had osteosarcoma, but I didn't have it in one place. I had it in two places. Okay. So I actually had it in my right knee, and then I had it in my left rib. Okay. Um. So when they found that out, they were very concerned that it may have spread or it could be two separate growths. Yep. Um, we um, found out later, a couple of days later, it was two seconds, like separate, uh, a second growth. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and they had never seen that in Australia before. Wow. Un- unbelievable, yeah. So what you went in to have some pretty aggressive treatment then, I assume, or...? So then um, I was asked if I wanted to go to the Royal Children's or if I wanted to go to Peter Matt. Yep. I, I did all my treatment out in McCullen. Um, and I did, I think it was like four cycles. So in a cycle there is two weeks of one chemotherapy and then there's a week of another chemotherapy. So altogether yep. there's three chemotherapies. Yep. Um, and then... So I did four cycles of that, and then I had surgery, which I had the titanium femur and the knee. Yep. And then I have three concrete ribs in my left side. So they've removed three ribs. Wow. Um, and then I went on to do the remaining of the chemotherapy, which was another six months. Yeah, okay. And then, and then what, you were, you were finally in remission or? Um... I'm, still not in, I'm still not in remission to this day. So okay. I'm fast as cancer free. Um, I won't be in remission for another three years. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, so the cancer that I had, it was, it's so likely to come back. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Well, fingers crossed, everything stays the way it is. Then, hey, like. Yeah. Well, we haven't had any relapses. Um, I did go through chemotherapy with fourteen people, and there's two of us standing. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it just goes to show how deadly this cancer is. Yeah. Um, the survival rate for it is very low. Yeah. Um, like there was fourteen of us, and now there's two of us. Like yeah, that. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Unreal. So, um, fast forward, fast forward a little after you know you've you've um, you've got on the better side of the cancer. Um, they've told you that if your chances of having a child or falling pregnant are slim. So. Because I started chemotherapy so quickly after I found out, we didn't have the time to shut, like, to freeze eggs or do any of that. Yep. So what I actually did to um, did instead, I would get an injection every twenty eight days straight into the ovaries. Yep. You know, it would shut the um, ovaries down and put them to sleep. Right. Um. So I got that done every twenty eight days, but. What they were saying is I'm very unlikely to have a child due to the ovaries not being asleep long enough. They want to do a month before you start chemotherapy. I did a week. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm with you. Yeah. Right. So, but, but then, what, miraculously you feel pregnant? Um, yeah, so 2018 I fell pregnant. The end of 2018 yep. um, I fell pregnant with my miracle baby. Yeah, well, and that's baby Noah. Yeah, baby Noah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, how old were you then when you fell pregnant? Twenty-two, twenty-three. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. 
And now this is something we spoke about when you first reached out, actually, and I actually watched the episode myself, the the car accident, this horrific car accident while you were pregnant. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I was in a car accident at the at 27 weeks pregnant. Yep. Um, it was – I got T-boned, and um, prior, prior to it, I had no movement, but – yeah, I had no movement, which was concerning as it was. Yeah. Um, but obviously when the car accident, I had vaginal bleeding and everything like that. Yeah. So I was rushed off to the Royal, um, the Royal Melbourne Hospital um, and I was seen there. Um, the outcome was scary at first, yep. um, but obviously we found a heartbeat. Everything was all right. Yep. Um, the outcome of that was my prosthetic ribs, which is the concrete ribs from the cancer, were broken Yep. Um, in the car crash, but yeah. Yeah, so did you have to have surgery or anything there, or? I didn't, I didn't, no. No. Hey, so you, you know, luck was obviously on your side that day. Yeah, I did. Very, so, it was a very scary, yeah, moment. Yeah, so you went on to, um, with no more dramas with the pregnancy or anything like that? Um. No, the pregnancy was pretty smooth. Like, I was working, like, full-time when I was pregnant with him. Um, it wasn't until, like, the very end of the pregnancy where I started having trouble breathing. My wrists were like sausages. Yep. Um, like, my body just started swelling, and I just got, dis- like, got told it was normal, that's part of pregnancy, and I believed it because I've heard about that. Like, yeah, well, my, my partner's pregnant at the moment. She's 32 weeks pregnant, and she's swollen everywhere as well so I know, what you, I know yeah. what you mean there yeah so it's it's a common thing like so I was like yeah all right and then yeah apparently not yeah yeah okay so um so yeah you, you've survived this horrific car accident 27 weeks pregnant um you, you go through with no no other dramas um you give birth to Noah I do I do and that was a very traumatic birth um, it was meant to be a – I was induced because, obviously, chemotherapy, you have low platelets. So your platelets are what make you clot, your blood clot. Yep. Um, if they're not high enough, you're not going to clot. Um, my heart rate was extreme – like, my resting heart rate was 180. Yeah. Um, my breathing, I just couldn't breathe. I – yeah. So I was induced with Noah. They had broken my waters at the Anglos Hospital. Yep. Um, and after they had broken my waters, they decided, all right, things are getting a bit too wild. We need to do a MET call, which is their emergency call. So they did their emergency call and they came up with the plan of, we are better off transferring her to a bigger hospital yep. for emergency C-section. Um, so that's, I got transferred from um, the Anglos to Box Hill and um, from everyone's understanding that was there, we were meant to go in straight away for emergency C-section. Instead, we went upstairs and we went went to the birthing suite for four and a half hours. We were left in active labour with, I'm going to say, at least a dozen met calls, emergency calls, like just for me um, with my breathing, my heart rate, yeah, I started yeah. stressing out. There was just so many things going on. 
Um, and we, uh, the response we always got was, we're coming up with a plan, we're coming up with a plan. Um, and it was, wasn't until about 3.30, that's when mum, so I had my partner, mum, nan, and my partner's mum with me. Yep. They all started kicking up a stink that you need to take it down to Peter. You need to take it down. And um, so I ended up going down and they realised I was 10 centimetres dilated and they're like, well, well, you can go natural. Like, yeah, yep. So I ended up going natural. But what they had actually done was while going natural, they actually used force to get him out and he was born to cease to not breathing for 10 minutes. So he was a code blue. Holy shit. Wow. You get yeah, so he got rushed off to NICU. Um, I got taken back to the maternity work ward. Yep. And um, where I underwent ongoing tests because I wasn't looking the greatest. Yep. Um, and I kind of didn't get listened to. to um, Sorry, when you say you weren't, I, you weren't looking the greatest, in, in what ways? Like you're going to pay all or something? I couldn't walk. I was pale. I couldn't walk more than, oh, I'm going to say 100 metres without needing to sit down and catch my breath. Then um, I was coughing. I couldn't catch my breath. Like it was just, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't eat. Just something Um, was up. Yeah, something was up. And they came up and they said, oh, you've got aspiration pneumonia. And I believed it. I was like, maybe I do. Like you're the doctors. You would know what I've got. And I fell for the whole aspiration pneumonia. And then there was, we stayed a week in hospital. Yep. Well, um, after I gave birth. And in that meantime, I actually ended up in ICU yeah, at Fox yeah. Hill. And um, they came up and they said, you're going to heart failure with years to come. Yeah, they well. said, we've been five years, you are being heart failure. And I said, that's okay. Well, what can we do? And they came up with all these appointments. That I'm happy to do them, like yeah, of course, yeah. And You're a new mother, you know, you have to do anything to yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So um, they did that, and then they decided to send me back to ward, and I was still I was living in the bottom of the shower for the steam to help me breathe. Like wow, um, I just couldn't breathe, and um, but I went home, um, went and visited a couple of doctors, like because I just wasn't getting better. Yep. I was just getting, I would bring mum daily and be like, it feels like my organs are shutting down. It feels like I'm dying. Like, what's happening? Like, yeah. Um, and then mum and my siblings came to visit to meet Noah and we went and saw the doctor and he, that's when he requested to do a chest x-ray, yep. more focused on the heart. Yep. And we did the chest x-ray and it came in that I had an enlarged heart. Um. But no action, nothing else was done. That's all I got told I had. I knew large heart, you'll be right. Yep. So um, that was fine. And I got told, told I was anemic by another hospital. I got told I had aspiration pneumonia by another doctor again. It just kept on going in a circle. They all had excuses, but they actually didn't know what was going on. Yep. Um, by the sounds of it, I yeah, even they, attended- by the sounds of it, they didn't know what was going on themselves, obviously. like. Yeah. Yeah. No, and this is where like it really freaks me out. Like I went to the doctor where I was in uh, the hospital where I was induced with Noah, and I was in their emergency, and they said, "Oh, you need an iron infusion." And I said, "Yeah, that's fine. We can do that." Like yeah, I was yeah. happy to do whatever. Like yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and 
Anyway, they gave me the referral to do that and they were sending me home and that's when another doctor that wasn't even seeing me followed me out and he said, you, you can't go home. Yeah. You can't go home. And I was like, why? What's up? And he's like, you are great. We need to do blood work on you and see what's going on with you. And I said, that's fine. Like, all right, we'll come back in. We'll do the blood work. We'll see what you've got. Yep. And um, the blood came back perfect. And so I got sent home anyway. And then one night I just said to my partner, I said, call an ambulance. I said, I can't do this. Like, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I was either in the shower or on the ground, like, getting the steam to help me breathe. Yep. Or I was just crying. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and that's when one ambulance turned up, then the second net turned up, and then the third turned up. And I was like, all right. I'm in trouble. Yeah. I'm in trouble. What's going on? Yeah. And then I went to a hospital that doesn't even deal with hearts. Yeah, okay. And, um, yeah, they don't deal with hearts. They admitted me straight away and they told me what was going on, that my heart was failing and um, they would have to transfer me, but it was a matter of when. Yep. So I spent a night there and, um, they called mum and told mum mum had to travel four hours to us um, and get her back up. And I was transferred to the Alfred. Um, yeah, I was transferred to the Alfred and straight, taken straight into ICU. Yep. And that they tried a couple different um, drugs on me that they use for um, patients that have heart attacks. Yeah, okay, yep. Yeah, so they call it, call it the golden drug. Yep, I've heard of it before. Yeah, the melatonin. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, so they put that me on that for a couple of days to see how I would react. At first, I was reacting really well, but it's not something you can be kept on. So they um, decided to come up with another plan, and their plan was a heart transplant. Right. So, um, but because I kept on deteriorating, I would become stable and then I would deteriorate. Yep. Um, they decided maybe a transplant wasn't the best idea at that time. So they decided yeah. to put me on a machine on the 21st of September, 2019. Yep. They decided to put me on a machine called um, ECMO. Yep. So ECMO is a machine that it's two pumps, uh, two lines, and the lines go, they can go in your brain or they can go in your chest. Yep. Um, and they pump the blood out of your body into a machine, put um, oxygen into the blood, yep. and then return the blood into your body. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. so I was, I was on that for six weeks. Sorry, um, sorry how long? And then, sorry, sorry to butt, butt cut you off there, but how long yeah. after giving birth, how far along are we now talking, talking these days? Three weeks, three weeks. Far out, shit. Everything. Yeah, so bubbles only three weeks. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, Bub was three weeks old um, when I got put into the first coma. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, so I was in that for six weeks. I was one of the lucky ones. They normally keep you in a coma for the ECMO. Yeah, yep. Um, but they brought me out, like they slowly brought me out to see how I would react. If I reacted okay and I didn't try to tug the tubes or anything like that, happy to keep me out. Yep. Um, so they kept me out of the coma for that, like 
I think I was in for like five days. And then um, on the 14th, so from the 21st, yes, from the 21st to October, the 14th of October, um, I went on to Elbad, which is a left ventricle assistance device. Yep. Um, Yeah, so I swapped from life support and went to that, and I spent 11 months on Elbad. Okay, could you go into explain sort of, um, I suppose there'd be people watching that wouldn't know what one of those machines are. So can you explain what, uh, what, it, so, what it is and what it does? Yes, yes. So an Elbad is a left assist, left assistant device. Yep. Um, and it pumps for your left ventricle. Um, and what it does is pretty much it's what the ECMO did is um, put oxygen into the blood. Yep. But this machine is actually keeping the blood pumping. Right, yep. So the left side of my heart couldn't um, contract enough to pump the blood. Yep. Um, so the machine was constantly going. So what the it was a little machine. It was about that big. It yep. ran off two batteries yep. at a time, and it would sit in a handbag on the side of things. Yeah, I've, I've seen um, the photos. It would I'll, alarm. I'll actually throw the photos into the podcast around about here so people will be able to actually see. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's a little machine. It, it does wonders. Like... Um, and yeah, it sat next to me, and it was easy. Like I did gym, like I did gym. I looked after a child. I did my everyday life. Yeah, with it. Yep. Oh, so, awesome. But you meet a lot of people that can't adapt to it. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. I've heard. Um, I've heard Glenn actually talk about that as well. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was going to get the R bag, and he would need both bags, so he wouldn't have had the one bag. Yep. He would have two bags. Okay, yep. Um, we had spoken about that too because he's like, I got rejected for it. Okay. So, um, and I explained to him, you can't have an R bag if you don't have an L bag. So, yep. Um, how it works. Like, if your right heart, your right side, no, you need your left side, not your right side. Yep, I'm with you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so when when did they decide that all right we're going to go ahead and we we're, we're going to put a new heart in her? So obviously I had to do the workup. Yeah. Um, the workup is very exhausting. It seems like it's nothing at the start when you get all the appointments. You're like, yep, 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 that'll be fine. Yep. Um, I had to do workup for yeah transplant. So with Elvad, you've got to go to the gym three times a week, and it's got to be at the Alfred. It can't be anywhere else. Um, so you've got to travel into the Alfred, do gym for an hour, three times a week, and then um, you also have to commit to being at these appointments every Friday or every fortnight, yep. whatever they choose you to be at. Um, you have to show that you can commit to your INR. So we had to be on warfarin while we are on the machine, so you had to commit that you can keep your warfarin stable. There was a number of things that you had to prove to you prove that you could do um, with that. Um, and then I did the workup, which was obviously multiple testing, ECGs. Um, because I've had cancer, I had to have PET scans, MRIs, CTs. I had a couple more tests than a normal person. Yep. Um, and then, like, lung tests. Um, and then they, the team sits down, they have a meeting and they work out if you're eligible for a heart. 
Um, and I came back, I was eligible. I made it through all my tests came back perfect. So I um, went on to the transplant list on the 8th of April 2020. Yep. And then, yeah. And then what September it was when you was when you got the call? September from... the nineteenth, I got the call for the transplant. Yep. Um, as hard as it was, it was at the peak of COVID in Victoria. Yep. Um, so we weren't allowed to have anyone at the hospital. Um, transplant was very hard. Obviously, with all the drugs and not having anyone there. Course. Um, I always had family every other time, so yeah. I found it a bit of a struggle. Can you go into a little bit? Um, I suppose leading up to, like, look, you're about to you're about to have a heart transplant. It's you know, it's one of the most craziest things that could happen to a person. Um, you know, how how was your family and your close ones and stuff? How did they sort of take it? I didn't know they were stressing. Um, okay. I kind of probably I kind of blanked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I kind of blanked out um, the bad and just put the good in it. Um, I didn't think, oh, this could be my last time alive. This could, like, I might not make it out of this surgery. Like, I didn't think anything of it. I was, it was kind of like Christmas Day to me. Yeah, okay. It was like, yes, let's go to get this done. Yep. No more Elbad. As much as I love the Elbad, um, and to this day, I will tell people, I would rather the Elbad over transplant life. Yeah, okay. Yep. And I, I get asked a lot, but life's a lot more stable on the Elbad than transplant. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so I kind of yeah, put the good in there and left the bad out. Um, I didn't realise they were all stressing and no one could get to me and all that until everything was over. Yep. All right, so... Uh, so you've you've um you've gone in. You've had the the transplant. What was it like when you first woke up? Can you remember? I don't know. I I can remember being woken up, but I don't know if it was when they were waking me up. I remember telling them I was dying because I was cold. Yeah. Um, but I was on some good drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I was on. I like. I hallucinated really badly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Like. Um, yeah. And. So- yeah. Yeah, sorry, you go. Like, um, all the nurses turned into ducks. Like, I was I was back. Yeah, okay. <laughs> With all their masks on. Um, if you don't mind me asking, was you ever, I, I assume not, but was you ever one to experiment with drugs or anything um, throughout your life? No, never done drugs. Yep. Never done drugs, never smoked. Um, that's a big thing. They obviously randomly drug test us all the time. Of course, yeah. Um, they... They um they can do a test for smoking now, so yeah, wow. um yeah, it makes me wonder yeah if like I was to smoke now, if they would be like that, that's my heart, like yeah, don't do that. We're taking that back now. Um, but yeah, no, it's you can't do any of that. You're not like you're allowed to drink every now and then. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're being alcoholic, obviously. Yeah, I suppose. Well, at the end of the day, you know, somebody's just gifted you this precious gift. Um, yeah. You're not a true person if you're going to go and destroy it, are you? You know, whether it's your heart, whether it's another organ, it's still, you know, it's a gift at the end of the day, hey? Yeah, yeah. And like, even just getting the heart, it puts out other organs into failure as well and it stresses them out. Like, 
my kidneys, oh, even when I went into heart failure, they were pretty bad. Like they were pretty close to dialysis and um, they're still not the greatest. I feel there's every now and then I'm in and out of kidneys. Like, yep. And that's just from taking medication that they've prescribed me for this transplant. Yeah, yep. Yeah, my um, my stepfather actually, my mum's partner, is he's only got the one kidney and he actually is right on the on the edge of going on dialysis as well. So I sort of know a little bit of, about that. But, um, yeah, it's another yeah. Hor- another horrible, horrible thing to go through, hey? like <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. All right, so... Um, and that, yeah, I try to avoid that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so you've you've finally had the heart transplant. Um, can you go into a, a little bit about your recovery? How was the recovery? So the recovery was all right. Um, I was back. I was back walking. I think it was eight days after transplant. I was up doing rehab, ready to go again. Yeah. Um, I did. That's where I've been lucky with all everything I've been through. I bounced back very yeah. quickly. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, um, my recovery was pretty good. I, I would say pretty good. I was back at work three months after transplant. So. Wow. Yeah, I went back to work. I That's did. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 So, so you, what? You recovered pretty well then. So, what? How long until? Yeah, you say, pretty well. Yeah. How long until you were say fully re- recovered, like um, and back doing your normal sort of thing? Three months. Yeah, three months. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Happy to go again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and I've always like. I think because I've had the cancer as well, I did a lot of rehab and um, physio as soon as I got that knee reconstruction. So yep. I knew there was no sitting around doing nothing. I knew once they get me out of bed, they would have me out of bed. Like, yeah. And that's what they did. Like, There's no sitting around waiting. Yeah, once you're well enough, you're up, you're going. Yeah. You're a bloody inspiration, Kayla. Honestly, it's it's blown my mind to hear your story. It really has, hey. And I'm sure that many people would say that to you as well. Like, it's it's phenomenal. It really is. So, where where are things at at for you today? Um, you know, like your day to day life. So I have just got a full time job. Yep. Congratulations. So that's in warehouse. Thank you. Thank you. Um. That's in warehousing slash retail. So I start that on the 14th of August. Yep. Um, and other than that, I'm just with my little boy, with my partner, living life, traveling when we can, yep. doing, living life to the fullest. Yeah, Unreal. What are your, what are your future plans? Um, I've seen a, seen a little bit of the um, stuff you've posted about baby number two, maybe. Yeah, so two weeks ago we got a food for baby number two. Yep. Um, tra- tra- this is transplant at the Alfred's second baby if I fall pregnant. Wow. Um, so they've approved five other patients, like transplant patients, to do it, yep. and only one has been successful. Okay. Um, and that's due to changing over from our normal medication yep. to... Um, pregnancy safe medication can put us into rejection. Yeah, okay. Um, so four of them have gone into rejection and it's game over. Once you go into rejection, they won't 
try, they're not going to risk your life for it. Yep. Um, I've done the medication changeover and I haven't gone into rejection. Wow. So they're given the full approval, go ahead. Yep. Um, obviously, they're claiming the baby as theirs already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. But, yeah, very excited. So it must, it must, surely it must scare you a little bit to think of have, like going through all that again and obviously the, the negatives would pop up everywhere, wouldn't they? Like They do, they do, but as I say to a lot of people, it, my, my heart condition, my heart failure was due to chemotherapy. Yep, yep, fair enough. Um, so it wasn't inherited or it wasn't a genetic thing like I wasn't born with it Um, so I think I may be safe with this one obviously I will be at the Alfred and at the Rural Women three four times a week Um, just monitoring everything getting tested yeah I'm going to be a high risk um, and we'll we'll have to see where it goes really well but if something goes wrong I've already said to them I will pull out yeah okay yeah yeah, but like I suppose you're a mother now. You've you've got your little boy, and you've got him to worry about now. I hey? do. Yeah. Oh, well, look, I yeah. hope, I hope, and I pray to God, um, and wish you all the best with everything. Um, I'm sure everything will be fine, and I'm very excited to sort of follow you on your journey too along this, um, this next chapter. Hopefully, everything goes well. And um, if you, one thing I want to ask you, to put a message out there. Have you got a message for you know anyone that is going through or or maybe looking at um, you know a future. Um, similar to what you've had, you know, with with medical conditions and stuff. A little bit of a message out there for for somebody. So my big thing that got me through everything was that I started off with being positive. You get a positive outcome. Yep. And I would always recommend to have a support person with you. Yep. They're my pretty much two big things. Um, a support person will listen to everything the doctor says, but make sure sure you're taking everything in as well. Like a second set of ears, really, just a backup type. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. once you hear something, you start thinking on that. That second person is going to hear everything else Yep. and going to be able to tell you, well, this is what else is said. Like, um, I know if the doctor says something to me, if I don't like it, um, I always pause there, my mindset stays there, and I don't listen to the rest of the conversation. I blank out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, that's wh- and that's where I was lucky. I always had my mum, like, if it wasn't for my mum, I probably wouldn't have pushed on to where I am now. Yeah. She sounds like a very so, um, very caring sort of person, hey? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, we banter. And the doctors know we banter, and that's just us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, mum. Look, it's been an absolute honour having you on, Kayla. Um yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll be following you for the rest of your journey. And if ever you guys ever come to the Gold Coast, give us a yell because um, we'd love to catch up with you, go out for lunch or something like that. And um, yeah, it'd be it'd be awesome. So, or vice versa, if we're down yeah, that no, way, we'll, we'll let you know for sure. All right, sounds good. Sounds no, good. No worries, Kayla. Thank you so much for coming on, and um, all, right. yeah, all the best with everything. All right, thank you so much.